All right, so just the three of us, looks like? Just the three of us. <laughs> so romantic. It is. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to widgmo.com and check them out. Don't panic, they'll be paid for most of us. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 88 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from the snow. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Uh, I'm going to do another quick announcement. I'm doing a free or donation-based um, webinar on freelancing. It's just a Q&A, so if you have questions about freelancing, thinking about it, doing it, have questions, you can go to freelanceqa.eventbrite.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can get to it there as well. We also have a special guest today, and that is Daniel Tao. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Did I say your name right? I should have asked first. Yeah, it's Tao. Okay. So, uh, do you want to introduce yourself for, time, so. yeah. since you're new to the show? Sure. So, as you said, my name is Dan Tao. I was just saying uh, I get called Dan Tao all the time, so pronunciation is not a big deal. Uh, I, I am a developer at Google right now. Uh, I'm on the ads review team, so we build a lot of um, mostly internal tools for uh, ensuring ads quality and things like that. And I do a lot of work on the front end, mostly. I kind of like the full stack, but uh, I think by default, because so many other devs don't like front-end work, I, I end up working on a lot of front-end stuff. And so a lot of the time here at Google, that means a lot of JavaScript. And then in the sort of open-source world, I also work on a lot of JavaScript projects and, and a lot of Ruby projects. So, yeah, I guess uh, the one thing, the, my biggest contribution thus far is Lazy.js, which is a JavaScript library I wrote this year and I'm still working on. Cool. So that's me. So... You're a major contributor to Lazy.js. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is for JavaScript devs. You know, I think most JavaScript devs know about underscore. And you recently had the the author of Lodash on the show, which is it's like a fork of underscore with a lot of optimizations and, and other stuff added. So Lazy kind of falls into that same bucket of sort of like low-level utility libraries. But the reason it's called Lazy is because unlike underscore and Lodash, which both eagerly evaluate your function calls when you're when you're using their map reduce filter type functionality that they provide for arrays. Lazy does lazy evaluation. So if you call like map filter reduce on a on an array, it doesn't create intermediate arrays. It just waits until you try to iterate over the result to combine all of those calls into one sequence that you can iterate over. So that's kind of the main distinguishing factor between lazy and underscore slash lodash. So this is kind of a, the way I think about lodash and underscore is it's kind of the functional set of operations that are convenient to have for a collection of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's, it's more of a functional approach to things as opposed to object oriented or procedural or, or right. prototypal. So mm -hmm. the thing that I find interesting about this is evaluating it lazily. Is that is that harder then than eagerly evaluating things? 
Well, I, it depends on what you mean, I guess. I would say, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's kind of harder in the sense of implementing it because whereas with underscore or lodash, if you have a method like map, for example, and your input is in an array and your output is in an array, then it's pretty, like, I think pretty clear to most developers how to implement, not necessarily like the most efficient way, but it just, at least some way, you know, where you create a new array and then you just push a bunch of results onto it and then you return it. So lazy is a little bit trickier to implement than that, but I think at least one of the goals of it is from the user standpoint, you know, the developer consuming the library, it's not really trickier to use because it has almost the same interface. So if you go, you know, if you check out the project homepage on GitHub, you can see like the, the methods are almost one to one, like sort of like have more or less parity with underscore. So if you're, if you're used to underscore, then using lazy should be pretty straightforward. So I guess the next question is, is that you said it doesn't create the intermediate arrays, so to speak. So does it right. actually iterate over each one? So let's say you have a map and then a filter. Does it actually like map the first one and then check it against the filter and then do other things or does it actually, yeah. what's kind of the procedure for that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically the fundamental like sort of object in lazy is, uh, I call it a sequence. If you, I actually, I have a, a sort of a .NET background. Like when I first started in software, my first job was in .NET. So .NET developers are familiar with link. And in, in .NET, the sort of like basic enumerable structure is, is the I enumerable interface. So it's kind of similar to that in that it's not necessarily an array. It's just something that you can get an iterator for and you can like that iterator is responsible for moving through the collection and sort of giving you each item one by one. So when you combine a map and a filter, whereas in underscore or lodash, both of those methods independently return arrays with lazy, it's sort of like, uh, it's sort of an object building approach where when you call map, it creates a sequence whose iterator will walk over the original array and map each element as it looks at it. And then filter creates an object on top of that that its iterator, when it looks at each element one by one, will either pass the element to a callback or not pass it to a callback. So, and that's, and that's sort of the, the, the way that all of Lazy is implemented is just these different sequence types whose iterators act differently. I don't know if I explained that very well, but hopefully. Yeah, it's just really strikes me as an interesting problem. I, I think you des- described it okay. But, but at the same time, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I have to admit I'm a little bit distracted too today anyway. But yeah, I'm, I'm really, I really think it's interesting. So you basically build this sequence and then, and then, uh, iterate through it. Yeah. And so one of the things that I, I really like about this approach, and I've, I've mentioned this like in my blog and stuff, but it's that it's not just about lazy evaluation. It actually, because, because a lazy has this concept of a sequence, which is not necessarily array based. It kind of opens the door for other things that lazy can do. So like, I know you also had the guy from, from IXJS on here recently, the uh, reactive extensions for JavaScript. Uh-huh. And that's all about reactive programming. And lazy can actually do something quite a bit like that. So whereas with underscore lodash, you need an array to start with. With lazy, this concept of an iterator can apply to things that aren't based on arrays. So you can apply it to, for example, event sequences. So like there's a, there's a lazy.dom.js file in the lazy repo that is meant for browser environments. And if you require that file, it extends, it, it gives you a way that you can basically like take 
declare a sequence that consists of the events bubbling up from a DOM element, and then you can map, filter, reduce over those. No um, way, really? Yeah, yeah. So you could, like, wrap an element and call on, like, click, and then that will give you every, you know, when, when you handle a click event in, in the browser, it's like an, an event object that has, like, a bunch of properties, like the X and Y coordinates and so forth. Uh-huh. So you could call map on that and then, like, translate that event object to whatever data you want, and then you could call dot each. And dot each essentially is attaching the handler to the event, and then, and then like, every event that, that comes through is treated as an element of the sequence. So that's something that you can do that's pretty cool. I, I also int- uh, recently introduced something that I think is, is really, really neat, which is lazy, lazy parsing of, of JSON. So, you know, like the typical way you would deal with JSON in a JavaScript app. And I should preface this by saying this is very experimental. Like I'm sure there's bugs in this currently, but it's kind of like a proof of concept. But in JavaScript, when you deal with JSON, generally you have to like parse a giant string of JSON into an in-memory object, and then if you want, you can map filter over like that array or that object or whatever. But with lazy, what you could actually do is is say you have a string that's a bunch of JSON, you could actually just start mapping and filtering over the JSON without even parsing the whole thing. You just parse like one piece at a time. So that's another example where, you know, you don't need an array to start with. You can start with other things that sort of lend themselves to the idea of a sequence. Why would I want to do lazy JSON parsing? Uh, that's a good question. So, for example, this is maybe a contrived example, but suppose you have, like, a really, really big JSON response that you get from some external API, and you know that you just want the first five results. So, if you did it sort of the traditional way, you would parse the entire string, which could be, like, let's say, just for argument's sake, that it's, like, a few megabytes long then you're doing like a lot of extra work, right? Whereas with lazy, what you could do is just parse like the first five elements out of the string, and then you don't even end up parsing the rest because you call parse whatever, take five. And then when you iterate over that, it'll just sort of walk the string until it's found five elements out of the JSON and then exit. So I'll include the link to sort of like a demo of what I'm talking about. And another another example, this is perhaps even more contrived, but you could also have a JSON string that's actually like that terminates early, so it's like actually not even valid JSON, but you could still parse the beginning of it. So that's another thing you could do. So if you go to the demo, you can see there's sort of like an example of invalid JSON, and you can see that J- that lazy can parse like all of the elements up until it reaches the the sort of syntax error. So that's a way you could also like iterate and map and reduce and so forth over like the beginnings of a JSON sequence without having to parse the whole thing. So I, I want to jump in here because when I think about lazy evaluation, I kind of think of I don't operate on stuff until I need to pull a result out or until I need to do some work on the entire collection that it basically yields. And so what you're saying is is that part of the lazy evaluation is is that I can just tell it how many I care about or how however many of these things that I need, and then it only evaluates those. And and that's why these other examples work out the way that they do is because I don't care about the rest. I only care about the first five or ten or whatever. Yeah, and, and I think I've had trouble in the past sort of coming up with non-contrived examples of how that's different. Like I've said, 
like I think on the project homepage even, it says like, oh, suppose you wanted to map the, a thousand elements and then take the first five. So with lazy, you could call like map on an array and then take five, and it's not going to map all thousand elements. It's just going to map the first five. Whereas with underscore low dash, if you did that, it would create like an additional thousand element array, right, consisting of the maps. And then it would, and then if you called take five, it would just walk over the first five. I admit that's a contrived example because it would just be a bad idea to do it like in low dash or underscore. You could just take five first and then map over that. But I think a less contrived example would be if you have some data and you don't necessarily know what the data looks like. Like say you're getting it from some external service. Like say you're getting a list of people and you want to take the first five people whose last name is Smith or whatever. So the lazy way, you could call filter, right, and then give it a function that says, you know, last name equals Smith, and then take five. And lazy will only bother iterating until it finds five people whose last name is Smith, whereas with underscore lodash, that approach would filter the entire collection, you know, potentially say there's like a thousand Smiths in the list. It's doing a lot more work than necessary. So yeah, early exiting early is a, a big one of the benefits in my experience to offering lazy evaluation for sure. So do you find that you get major performance gains from this? Yeah. So it's funny. Uh, it's it's a it's sort of a, a a yes with caveats. So so John David Dalton, who you guys had on the show a while ago, you, as you know, he wrote Lodash, and Lodash is like really really good on performance. A lot of devs who who maybe have been using underscore, they'll switch to Lodash when they see what a huge Im- improvement they get uh, in terms of performance with that. And he actually, one of the very first, actually the very first issue opened on GitHub for Lazy was John David Dalton. Uh, I don't even know how he found out about it. I'm guessing he like maybe watched like just searches every now and then for underscore clones or something. But he 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 commented like sort of letting me know just sort of like gently nudging me, like, just so you know, the performance implications of what you're doing here might be, might be kind of uh, worse than you think. And he, and he sort, sort of linked to some JS perf examples and showed how, you know, lazy evaluation is not always a huge win, which is definitely true. And of course, at the time, the library was very young. And so I actually, I actually took that as kind of a challenge. And my competitive side kicked in and I worked on making the performance a lot better by reducing a lot of the overhead. That lazy. He's good at getting to your competitive side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I actually, I loved what he said on your show about how competition is like a good thing. I, I actually totally agree. I mean, I, I totally respect Lodash, and I, I think it's a great library. And at the same time, I, I totally want to beat it in performance. So I guess the short answer is like it does give you real performance advantages, especially when the there's a lot of data. Like, I mean, in my tests, I guess pitting the current version of lazy versus the current version of underscore last i checked lazy becomes faster when you hit around like 20 to 40 elements or more and when you start chaining together methods like map reduce you know whatever then the results are even more pronounced but under uh lodash is still like really really fast especially for small collections like say like 5 to 15 elements or that kind of that kind of area it just has so little overhead besides creating the extra arrays that it's hard to compete with. I mean, it's like super optimized. But it's also, you know, Lodash has also been around for a while. It's on like its second major version. And I think he's currently working on the third major version. So so I, I sort of feel like that's, it's also got that going for it where they've had a lot of time to really optimize it. 
I'm just going to troll a little bit. What I'm hearing you say is that if I have a choice for four items and I want to sort using either your library or his library, it's really okay if I use BOGO sort. <laughs> well, for four items, BOGO sort you'll probably could get away with. Uh, it's it's not going to last you much higher than that. But um, It gets up to about seven before it gets really slow. <laughs> <laughs> it's highly practical. I'm sure that I bet there's a BOGO sort.js out there. I did some perf tests on BOGO sort because I wanted to know <laughs> at what point like one person's library is better than another. Anyway, yeah. sorry, that was a sidetrack. Well, it needed to be done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what I'm um, hearing though is that Lodash is highly optimized and does very well on the performance end. Lazy can save you in the areas where there's work not performed, you know, or unneeded mm-hmm. work not performed. I mean that that's a savings because it's just not doing that work at all. If you had to iterate over all of the elements in like a thousand element array and you had to do it on every transition using Lodash and LazyJS, how do they compare there? Uh, so, so in my experience, and I, you know, I feel bad like talking smack when, you know, John's not here, but I, I do think Lazy is going to be faster when you have large collections like that. And the reason is, and I actually kind of, this occurred to me the other day and, and I got a kick out of it because I'm a nerd. But I was thinking about the name Lazy, and of course I gave it that name because of Lazy Evaluation, but what I, I think is also important to realize is that it's also lazy in the sense of doing less work. So, like, in the underscore slash lodash world, if you call map on an, el- on an array of a thousand elements, right, that gives you a new array of, of a thousand new elements. And then if you want to iterate over that, then you can iterate over that. But... If you think about, like, if you just ignore the existence of any libraries and you were just writing raw JavaScript to do the same thing, you probably wouldn't bother creating a new array, right? You would just iterate over the original array and, like, do something with the result of whatever your mapping function is. So, like, for example, if you have a thousand people and you, like, call map person dot last name and then you iterate over those last names, you wouldn't really do that if you were if you were writing just procedural code. You would just iterate over the people and do something with each person's last name, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if you did it that way, you wouldn't be creating this whole extra thousand element array, right? Lazy actually is closer to that than it is to Lodash, because even though you create this sequence object, when you actually iterate, it's not creating a new array and populating it. It's just iterating over the original array and applying the mapping function to each element. So that big difference in the amount of work being done does become evident with large collections. And in my experience, and I, I've been meaning to sort of like discuss this in more depth on my blog, but uh, when you get arrays that large, collections that large, Lazy definitely does beat the competition, even just for something as simple as calling map and then calling each on the result, because it's not creating that whole extra array and adding elements to it. So have you found any cases where Lodash or underscore are more performant than Lazy? Yeah, well, like I said, on the on the really small collections, uh, I actually was a little bit, uh, I was a little bit like saddened recently because it up until recently, all my tests showed that Lazy was faster than Lodash for like ten elements or up, on like on almost everything. But Lodash, I think it recently it it's like gotten to where it's still it's faster around ten elements. But I think it's like around twenty or or forty now that Lazy becomes like faster, mostly across the board. I I should also clarify that I don't mean this as a diss at all, but pretty much for almost everything, 
both lazy and lodash are way faster than underscore. I think underscore as a library, it, I think, you know, I don't know the maintainer personally, but my understanding is that it sort of values like simplicity and clarity as a library. And, and it's true. If you look at the, the source for underscore, it's a lot easier to read and sort of more straightforward and you might argue more elegant, but it's not as performant by a long shot as lodash or lazy. So if you compare them on like map filter, just standard stuff, uh, lazy and Lodash pretty much always beat underscore by like by like a pretty wide margin. But then compared to each other, they tend to be more neck and neck. I, I really like that you kind of brought up the different values for the different systems, mainly because if you're using underscore and it's fast enough, then it really doesn't matter if you're using underscore, Lodash, or lazy. And so then if you value the hackability, I guess, of underscore, and it like I said, it's good enough, then great, but if you're dealing with these large collections and you find the underscore is is holding you up at that point, then you know then you can move over to one of these other implementations. And it's nice that they're out yeah. there and kind of pushing each other along. That was one thing I really liked when we talked to John. Is he's like, yeah, yeah I, 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 you know, I love competing and I love, you know, but he does it in a spirit of kind of you know pushing things ahead, and it's just it's just cool. So yeah, keep yeah, keep making yeah. it work. <laughs> Oh, I, yeah, I intend to. In fact, I mean, people who are following Lodash are aware that Lodash is planning on incorporating lazy evaluation into the next major version. So it's like on the roadmap for Lodash 3.0 is, is add lazy evaluation. I think specifically to when you're chaining methods together. So in Lodash, if you like call map filter, like compact or whatever, and then when you call dot value at the end is when the plan is for Lodash to, to sort of only then um, iterate over the original sequence and do all that work, but and I and I and he even mentions lazy in the in the sort of issue that he created to track the progress on that. He said like this library shows that that this can be done in a performant way. So yeah, I do I do agree. I don't know about I think underscore is maybe a little bit more of like uh, an island where it sort of is opinionated in its own way. But I don't I don't know that underscore is doing like paying much attention to to libraries like Lazy or Lodash. I could be wrong, but but I definitely, I mean, I talked to, I've talked to John David Dalton, like just on IM, like a bunch of times since starting work on Lazy and, and it's, it's been good. I mean, he's been, he's kind of like issued, you know, words of warning when he feels like I'm going down a bad path or, um, or like he, he's asked me how I've done certain things. So I think I, I really like competition when it's like, you know, all in good fun. Like I, I, I don't like, I would hate the idea of like, me wanting to beat Lodash just as a matter of like, you know, because I want all the attention. I think it's, it's better to sort of focus on like, what's the best way we can do this. And if two libraries have a totally different approach, then it's fun to sort of push those two different approaches as far as they can go. Now, you mentioned that, that Lodash is looking at adding some lazy evaluation to their uh, APIs. Have you considered actually going over there and helping them with that and either deprecating lazy or, you know, at least lending expertise since you've already kind of done this to them? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've certainly, I, I, I've offered to sort of help on that front, but I think there's a couple of things that make it, well, for one, I, I still do like the competition aspect. Like, I think that as long as lazy and Lodash are both around, if we both have that sort of competitive drive, I think that's actually good. It's It's actually better to me than trying to fold one library into the other because then even though collaboration is great too, I think 
I think the competitiveness has really driven, at least as far as I'm concerned, like it's made Lazy a lot better. And I think that Lodash has gotten better because of it too. So I, I like to keep the competition there, for one. For another thing, the paradigm of Lodash is fundamentally different. So even though he's looking to add Lazy Evaluation, it's still going to be an array goes in, and then you can lazily evaluate all of these functions, but then at the end of the day, an array comes out. And that makes it a little more, a little smaller in scope than what lazy can do. Because like, as I was like mentioning before, with like event sequences, for example, or iterating over like streams is another thing lazy can do. If you're in node, um, you can actually like lazily evaluate like a file, for example, and map reduce on like the lines of the file. So things like that are things that aren't going to happen in Lodash unless it fundamentally changes, you know, like the whole paradigm, which I don't think it should, because I think a big part of the appeal of Lodash and a big part of the appeal of underscores is that they're very intuitive. Like, you know, you're always getting an array back. And, and so, so yeah, I've, I've, I've sort of like played around with like how you would implement lazy evaluation in Lodash and it can definitely be done, but I think it's going to be done a very different way from the way it works in lazy. Mm-hmm. So one other thing, I'm kind of looking at the website here. I clicked on the spec results, and there's a failure on there. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not too shocked by that. Expected seven to be six. That's funny. Oh, actually, yeah. So the thing about the specs, well, actually, about I guess the homepage in general is, for one, I'm really bad about keeping that up to date. Like my guess is, in fact, actually, I know this for sure that the specs are passing if you like run them you know if like you if you clone lazy locally and, and run the specs on your machine the problem is i i used to have this whole system on in in the lazy repo for like generating the documentation and creating the website and it was like a manual thing where whenever i had like a major update i would like update everything and then you know push it to github pages which is where the site's hosted and and so i guess i haven't done that as recently as I should have. And so while it's hosting the current version of Lazy, it's hosting like a slightly older version of the specs. There's actually another project that I'm working on. I don't want to like uh, take take up much time talking about it, but I'm actually, I started working on a new project that the whole purpose of which is to kind of do a lot of that website documentation generation stuff because I didn't think it belonged in Lazy. Like, it, it had all this logic in the actual Lazy repo for, like, generating the website, and I felt like that was kind of, you know, orthogonal to the whole purpose of Lazy. So so this other project I've got, I'm working on, is, is sort of a project to do all that stuff, and it's called Autodoc. So when I get that further along, I'll start using that to more regularly update the Lazy website, but... Thanks for pointing out the spec failure. I'll definitely after this podcast, I'm definitely going to go fix, you know, update the site. Oh, there you go. Make a liar out of me. People are going to stop <laughs> and go look. There's no failing spec. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. If uh, if my, you know, if history repeats itself, they'll probably find a different failing spec by the time they check. <laughs> right. What well, What are you using to test it? Is it Jasmine or QUnit or? Something uh, else? it's yeah, it's Jasmine. Something I'm pretty actually, it's a combination of Jasmine and that new project project I just mentioned, Autodoc. Something that's really really cool that I like a lot about Autodoc is actually, it sort of part of the way it works is that instead of like writing all these like specs in like Jasmine or Mocha or whatever, you can still do that, but you can also just where you're writing your code, write like some examples right above the function. And if you just follow sort of like a certain syntax for writing the examples, 
then Autodoc can actually generate tests from your comments. And what I like about that is that a lot of projects, like Lodash included, if you look at the source, above every function, you know, it'll have sort of like an explanation of how the function works and some example like inputs and outputs. And it's always bothered me that like that information is there, but it's in the form of a comment that's not actually being executed or like tested. Mm -hmm. So that's a big part of what, what Autodoc does is it takes sort of those examples that you're providing for the reader and makes sure that they actually work the way you say they do. So yeah, lazy at this point, I've, I've done a lot of, I've refactored a lot of the testing for lazy to use that format. And so it's like about half Jasmine, half Autodoc at this point. Oh, that's kind of cool. So one other question I have for you is, uh, Lodash and lazy are kind of based around, you know, somewhat loosely in the case of Lodash, depending on which APIs you're using. They're based around the APIs from underscore. Have you deviated much from the underscore APIs? Yeah, you know, well, not not too much. I think I've I think I've sort of followed in Lodash's footsteps on this one because Lodash sort of like has all of the stuff that underscore has, and then it has a bunch of other stuff on top of that, and that's kind of the way Lazy works too. Like it it implements all of the like map filter, you know, where compact unique, shuffle, all that stuff, like all those methods of underscore. But then there's a lot of just additional things that Lazy offers. I, as far as I know, I've tried to make it consistent where the met, where it actually is implementing stuff that you can find in underscore. But where, you know, but then there's a lot of additional stuff that just has no counterpart in underscore. Like, for example, Lazy has a lot of stuff to do with strings, where you can, like, split a string, and instead of creating, like, a big array with all of the substrings, it, again, creates a sequence that you can, you know, iterate over and map produce over and stuff like that. So, so there's that's a lot of like, yeah, that's actually another thing that I've always liked is, is, is like, if you ever like go on Stack Overflow or something and you're like, how do I read like the lines of a string in JavaScript? Like, you know, nine times out of 10, someone will be like, oh, split it on the new line character. And that'll give you a giant array. Like if you have, if you're reading like a, a text file, you know, mm-hmm. that could give you like a, an array with like 10,000 lines in it. Whereas with lazy, you could like call that same, you know, a method that looks just like that. You split on new line, but then say you do like take five and it'll only read the first five lines and then you don't have this giant array sitting around. So yeah, that's, so that's, I, I think that's yeah. really cool. And, um, it actually, so my iTunes library is like 75 megabytes of XML. And I, I was in the middle of writing a parser for it so that I could you know, do fun stuff. And I, I kind of stopped because it was, it was difficult. <laughs> and I think I, I might have to look into this when I go back to it to see if it doesn't help me out. Cause it, it is definitely a problem if you're trying to read in 70 megabytes of XML and, and parse it. Um, it doesn't work. Yeah. And so, so, so that kind of like brings me to a sort of like, general point about lazy that I, that I really like and a big part of the reason I continue working on the library I think a lot of times like people who write parsers and things like that run into this for sure where it's like say you're writing an XML parser but say the XML is like you know like you said 75 megs of XML right you want to offer it in a way that it's not it doesn't require you to read the whole thing in the memory parse the entire thing and then give it all back as some data structure right like you like, I think what a lot of parsers will do is they'll offer some sort of callback mechanism. So it'll be like, parse this giant blob and then like call this function for every element that you read out of it. 
but and that's fine and that's better for performance but i think that the downside to that is that doesn't really translate very easily to a lot of the functional constructs that we're very, all very familiar with and that we all find very useful so like it's like either you have to pick being able to map and filter over something but then that incurs this giant overhead of having a huge array or you go with this callback method and lazy it kind of combines the two so it offers the efficiency of like having a callback strategy where you don't have to read everything at once but it also offers like the convenience and the familiarity of the sort of more underscore sort of API you know with the maps and filters and, and, and all that so that's something that I think is really important and and like I talked about earlier lazy has this lazy JSON parsing ability it might be something that could be done further down where I could also do some sort of like lazy XML parsing but my guess is you probably have something like that already if you're using a different language. Well, I was I was using JavaScript and then perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Node. I mean, I I do everything in JavaScript. Like it's probably wrong, but I just do it because I love it, <laughs> and it just it rolls off my fingers. And like if I wasn't using JavaScript, I'd probably use Go because that also looks really awesome and really simple. But um, yeah, I love JS. Hey, I'm not. I that's Atwood's law, right? <laughs> If it can be written in JavaScript, it will be. So <laughs> I still think that's so funny. <laughs> it's funny, and it's it's also like shockingly true. I mean, uh-huh. and if like, it can't, there's like NES emulators written in JavaScript. There's a yes. JVM in JavaScript. That's crazy. Yeah, and if it can't be written in JavaScript, it'll be transpiled. <laughs> right. <clears throat> So one other thing I wanted to ask about was I keep seeing stuff about asynchronous iteration here. Mm-hmm. I don't completely understand why you would want to do anything asynchronously with like an array. I guess you could raise an event or something. Oh, can each, I answer this one? On can I answer element? this one? I, I would like AJ to answer this one. Break oh, my thanks. heart, AJ. Break it. Pick me. Pick me. Okay. So token example, you have a bunch of web, web requests you want to make. So say you download a, a list of users or like a list of files, and then you want to go get the the metadata about those users or about okay. those files. So you're not going to want to throw all of those into XHR requests at once, or maybe you do, but probably not, because the browser can only handle like four at a time anyway. So you want to go over them one at a time. Does that make sense? Yep. So, so um, do you tell it just to wait between them? I mean, is that the point then between of, of running them asynchronous? Asynchronously. Well, you, you want to wait till the one gets back, or you want to do a couple at a time. Oh, that makes sense because we're doing lazy evaluation, so it's not go get everything. It's well, I only care about the first five, so go take five or whatever. Ooh. Okay, so I, I'm gonna have to jump in here because what what AJ said is absolutely right, but it's also not what <laughs> what asynchronous iteration is in lazy, and <laughs> and this has caused this has caused some confusion. I mean, you're not the only one. I actually have like an issue that somebody opened like months ago that I still have to address. And it's kind of like the website. I'm like terrible at being on top of some of this stuff. But but what AJ described is like one form of async iteration. And I think that's led to some confusion because that's probably what a lot of JavaScript devs think of as async, async iteration. With lazy, when talk about async sequences and lazy, it, it might be actually what, what you were, were thinking, Chuck, which is say you have an array. The idea is rather than iterate over the entire array right now, I want to iterate over it asynchronously. So, like, you know, I'll do something for the first element right now, and then, like, on the next turn of the event loop, I'll do something with the next element, and so forth. 
and I could see, I, I get your question, like, a lot of people have asked me, actually, like, what's the point of that? It's mainly, and for one thing, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I know all of the use cases, but, but the one that I know from my experience is having worked on some front-end UIs before where, like, dealing with large collections could cause the UI to freeze up. What's great about asynchronous iteration is you could potentially do a lot of work, you know, like, iterate over, like, 10,000 things, but you won't be freezing up the UI because you'll only be looking at either one thing at a time or like however many you, however you want to chunk it up. You know, you could look at a hundred elements at a time and that way you could kick off sort of an iteration that say, we'll like look at every item of 10,000 and like add something to the DOM for each one. But instead of doing that all at once and then having the UI freeze up and suddenly the DOM has like 10,000 elements in it, you start doing it asynchronously and then and then, like, one by one, the DOM gets updated with, like, a bunch of new elements. So that's one use case. And another one that I think is really good that I've used Lazy for, actually, on, on UIs is is when you're, like, doing some sort of search or filter based on, like, the user types something into a text box. So, like, say you the user types into a text box, and then you want to, like, search and, like, display all the matches from, from some collection. But say the collection is 10,000 elements. Then rather than search through the whole collection all at once and then display all the results. Maybe you just start asynchronously iterating and as you find results, you pop them onto the UI. So that's another case where iterating asynchronously allows you to sort of have like a responsive UI and still do this pretty like massive iteration, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I think I might need to come up with a better name for it because I think the explanation AJ gave is, is totally what most devs think I mean by asynchronous iteration and I've got to think of a better way of expressing that. And if you happen to be looking for that kind of async iteration, I posted <laughs> a link to for each async, lateral, and join in the show notes. Cool. So is there anything that Lazy does that we haven't talked about yet? I think the... No, I think I've touched on, on pretty much everything. Uh, actually, so something that just got got added today, somebody posted like, oh, I would like to see if Lazy could sort of like provide a sequence sort of interface over the concept of every time I set a property on an object. So 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 I actually just implemented like a, a very basic version of this where you can call you can call you can like wrap an object with lazy and then call watch and specify a property name. And what'll it'll give back is a sequence consisting of like all of the values that are assigned to that property. So then you could call like map filter over that and each or whatever. And when you call each, that callback will basically be given the result of that sequence anytime the object's property is set. So that's definitely an example of reactive programming. It's like, it's maybe not, it's maybe not that clear to a lot of people what I'm even saying. So let me actually find a link because I think I, I, I on the issue, I commented and provided like a little illustration of what I meant. So I'll include that here. But yeah, it's like provides the same sequence interface, like I said, that you can map over and so forth. But it like applies to all the values that a property has over like the lifespan of an object. Right. So that's so that, you know, so the sort of like weird non array based paradigm of lazy lends itself to some of these like other sort of maybe exotic um, use cases. But I don't, I don't know like how useful that's ultimately going to be. It might be or might not be. But I, I like that it sort of has that sort of like flexibility that it can lend itself to these sort of unusual uses and, and go places that underscore and Lodash can't go. That is really cool. 
All right. Well, we're kind of getting toward the end of the time. I don't want to go over. So uh, we'll go ahead and start wrapping up. I'm going to make AJ start off with our picks. Sweet. First, I'm going to pick... There's this really awesome song that I found on Spotify. I'll probably have to actually open the link to find the name. I think it's called Happiness, actually. And it's by some retro 8-bit band like that does retro game music. And I think it's what happens if, like... Um, Owl City fell in love with Zelda and had babies. So it made me happy. And if you like video game music, then you might like to listen to it. And I'm also going to pick 15 things altogether. But the core of it is the Avermedia game recorder. I've started using that to record the Utah JS meetings. And after much trial and error, I come up with a combination of a couple different adapters that all fit into a shoebox, and one HDMI goes out to the projector, one HDMI goes to the uh, to the computer, and then the Avermedia capture recorder sits on top with a couple adapters dangling on the inside of the shoebox, and it's it's pretty much a turn the mic on, uh, hit the red button, and then when the presentation's over, hit the red button, turn the mic off type system. So. Um, it's it, it only cost about between three and four hundred dollars to put together, um, which if you're looking at other capture solutions for conferences or for buying a complete put together system, you, there it's two thousand dollars for the next best thing I could find that had everything together. So I'll put a link to that, and if you have a, a meetup group and and you guys have a budget of $300 that you could put into a presentation recorder. I've got a selection of equipment that you can you can use to do that. All right, very cool. So I'll jump in with a couple of picks. First pick is I've been uh, listening to books on Audible. I got a little bit burned out, so I started listening to a fiction book, and it is called New Spring. It is the prequel to the Wheel of Time series of books, and some of those books kind of get a little bit long in the tooth, I think, but I don't remember if Brandon Sanderson finished the series or not, but if not, then he's pretty close. And uh, anyway, so now I'm going to just go and listen to all of them on Audible. And so um, anyway, I'm really enjoying that. I'll put a link to the book in the show notes, and I'll put a link to Audible in the show notes as well. And then that's that's pretty much all I have. I just want to remind you, though, if you're thinking about going freelance or you are freelance and have questions, I am going to be doing that Q&A, and I'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. Dan, what are your picks? So I've got a couple picks that are not really new things at all, but they're, well, the first one is kind of new to me because I just read it. It's the book, Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. It's about, it's it's by Richard Feynman, who's like a, you know, pretty famous physicist. But it's just, it's like, it's like essentially a memoir, I guess, uh, or more like a collection of like little mini memoirs. But it's just like a really awesome read if you're into science and sort of scientific thinking and sort of outside the box thinking. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. And it, it actually like really got me thinking about some, some of the things like the way to approach ideas and, and like, you know, like thinking outside the box. Like I said, another, my next pick would have to be, so there's, there's a band that I really like that I feel like are woefully underappreciated. They're called Starflyer 59. And, um, and, and I like them a lot. They've been around for quite a while. But they're not really that well known. But 
when I introduce people to them, I, I fear that they're not going to have a good first exposure to them. So I specifically want to recommend their album called Leave Here a Stranger, which uh, to me was just like a, a great album. It came out like over 10 years ago, I think. So it's kind of an oldie. But but yeah, if you if you want to check out a new band, they have sort of like a airy, sort of ethereal sort of sound. I would highly check the, check them out or I would highly recommend them. And then my last pick for something a little more recent, this is maybe an odd thing to pick, but there's a website called Gidip. I thought it was pronounced Gittip, but I recently discovered it's pronounced Gidip. And it's for, it's like for open source developers to basically accept donations just to sort of keep doing what they're doing. I'm not on it, but, but I know a lot of devs are and, and it's, it's pretty new. And the DHH, the, the guy who made Rails recently sort of had a, he sort of wrote a blog post about mixing money and open source and how that's a really bad idea. And that kind of led to a conversation between the guy who founded Gitip and, and DHH, which I found really interesting. So I'm posting a link to that. They had a, they had like a phone call over Google Hangouts, which you can watch. And it's, it's just like an interesting sort of discussion, which I consider to be still ongoing. I mean, like it's kind of not clear whether mixing money and open source can work in the way that uh, GitHub wants it to or not, but it's clear that there's like sort of good points on either side and that there's level heads on both sides. So to me, it's like an interesting experiment and definitely something to check out, especially if you're involved in open source and have sort of like considered, you know, how could I ever sort of make a living from this? Yeah, I'm on there. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so, and you should you should support Chuck. I am also on there, but. I've never got a penny from it. Uh, it looks like I've uh, received 25 cents, so I'm rich now. <laughs> Man, when I get there, I'm going to be somewhere. pretty happy. <laughs> Everybody got to start somewhere. I think even the founder, I mean, he makes like 400 a week or something, so it's not like it's not like going to replace your full-time job, but it's an interesting idea and I liked that I liked that they had that conversation because I think it started out as like sort of like rants back and forth on Twitter where they were like kind of calling each other idiots, but, like, quickly got to be sort of more, oh, uh, you know what, maybe we're both reasonable people and we can, like, have a, like, honest conversation about this, so. <laughs> yeah, all right, cool. Well, uh, thanks for sharing, and thanks for coming on the show and talking about this. It's It's been kind of an interesting way to look at programming. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I apologize to anybody listening if I didn't explain the ideas that well, but you can always uh, contact me on GitHub or email me or whatever, and be like, I have no idea what this is. Can you explain it better? And I'll try to explain it better. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much. We'll catch everybody next week.